Um, and I think that there's a lot more in common between people, the, the bulk of American people, if they would actually get over some of the weirdness of it, that they can't understand how other people live. Like, I can't understand how you live in row homes in Philadelphia, or I can't understand how you live in the middle of nowhere and can't see a neighbor. You know, like that, that bridge for some folks, um, it really, I think is over, overstated or overemphasized. But when you get down to it, you know, what I often go back to is most people just want to raise their family and provide and do a job and get compensated and make it through life. And, you know, there's just a lot of commonality that I think gets, gets glossed over because they're focused on the more visible differences that exist between, between urban and rural. Super smart people. That is uh, what I've tried my best to uh, surround myself with super smart people. Diana Laufenberg, who I'm going to speak with today, is indeed one of those super smart people. Uh, I connected with Diana a number of years ago online, and then uh, she um, went to Philadelphia to work with Chris Lehman at uh, Science Leadership Academy and uh, visited her school a number of times and connected with Diana at conferences and other opportunities. Even Diana, I believe, even uh, slept in my house one time. We had her here uh, for a, con a local conference, um, and I uh, invited her to come speak. And uh, anyway, uh, really smart and, uh, and fascinating in that she is she's a farm girl, and uh, she, she doesn't mind sharing that part of her life. Um, and I think it's a really interesting dynamic. I mean, she also worked in inner city Philadelphia, so... Uh, she's no stranger to that sort of diverse world, and that's kind of what we explore in this conversation. So if you don't know Diana, get to know Diana, follow her, uh, connect with her. She's a fantastic resource and just, just a great person to know. So enjoy my conversation with Diana Laufenberg. I spent nearly a decade in Flagstaff, Arizona, um, where I taught middle school, and then um, ended my formal teaching career um, in Philadelphia at the Science Leadership Academy, where I taught high school. Um, I did do that's been um, 10 years since then. Um, and in that amount of time, I've also done a whole bunch of consultancy work. I run a small nonprofit, um, all targeted around um, new school development and school transformation. But I've also long-term subbed twice in that chunk of time, uh, which has been eye-opening and a good reminder of the job um, as I go through this process. That is a very quick overview because it, it glosses over a lot of the kind of, I think, highlights and amazing things that you've been part of and done over your career. But I think, again, if, if people know you, they may know of those things. And if not, we'll make sure that they have links to, to find out about more of that really uh, powerful work you've done. But again, ever since I've known you, and I feel like I, I knew you before SLA, like I, I was, I, I, we had connected in some way when you were still in Flagstaff. Yep. And uh, I'm sure it was online. I'm sure the first time we met was in in Philadelphia, but um, and at that point, I don't know that I made the connection about the whole Wisconsin uh, lake life, farm life, uh, tractor pulls, uh, county fairs, all the stuff that's sort of a cliche about uh, rural, um, uh, midwestern rural life. 
Um, but then when you, you know, and then of course you were kind of hunkered down in Philly for a little bit more of a longer term. So I just get glimpses of this, of this life of yours. But I mean, talk a little bit about uh, Diana Laufenberg, uh, maybe even growing up, like what was, what, where you grew up and kind of how that sort of maintained a big part of who you are. Yeah, so I grew up in Alma Center, Wisconsin, population 454 when I was a kid. Um, it has fluctuated as high as 504 in the last 20 years, but it's now under 500 again. Um, I lived in the country. Um, uh, I, I jokingly now refer to it as the land of Laufenberg because most of the land in south of Alma Center either is or has been owned by a Laufenberg or one of your neighbors is a Laufenberg. There's a lot of us there. So I grew up in a very large family. Um, uh, we originally were dairy farmers. Um, I was a D minus farmer. I was, if you picked a farm team, I would be the last one picked on the team. I was bad at all things farming. Didn't really matter though, because you still got to go milk cows every day, even if you were terrible at it. Um, so we were, uh, we milked cows until I was 11 um, and then got out. There's an old uh, Reagan agriculture program called the Dairy Buyout because milk subsidies and the market was a mess. Da, 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 da. Um, we got out of dairy farming when I was 11. It was possibly my dad's least favorite day in his life and my favorite day in my life um, because it meant that we didn't have to get up and milk the cows every day. Um, and then transitioned the farm then, well, so there was dairy farming and then there was also um that was about the same time that he my dad decided we were going to grow christmas trees on some of our acreage and then there was a drought the next two summers so my sister and i had to water each tiny christmas tree they were like this big with a ladle um that was some of our post dairy farming activities um we also had a dog kennel um, that we ran for 10 years and had Cocker Spaniels and Shelties and Lhasa Opsos that we sold to pet stores, which, you know, today isn't looked upon too kindly, but it was a way that we paid the bills. We even had an aviary with parakeets that we also sold to the pet store. Um, we had sweet corn business. Um, basically, if we could make money off of the hundred, uh, we, we cut firewood in the winter, um, and threw it into a semi-trailer. That was a project we did all winter. Basically, I, I joke that when people say like, when did you decide inquiry and project-based learning was, was good? And I'm like, well, when the cows got out for the seventh time that summer and, and you still didn't get the fence right. Or um, if you were trying to figure out how to make something go faster or more efficiently because you didn't want to spend your time outside when it's 20 below throwing logs into a semi-trailer. Um, you know, my whole life was really geared in the project-based inquiry driven um realm i joke that farmers are the original makers you know like ooh, makerspace new and i'm like have you ever watched a farmer do you ever watch what they know how to do all of them are part-time plumbers construction guys mechanics um you know farming isn't like a thing it is like this loose collection of skills almost every functioning farm has a shop um, if you ever see them disbanded, it's always, you know, drill presses and light welding and, you know, like it, it's this huge skill set. And so you get kind of a taste of that when you're a kid and you're never bored. Um, my sister and I used to sit around and think like, what do all these people do when they go to college? <laughs> like, what do they do with all their time? Because all of our time 
was capitalized trying to make that farm go. Um, and, and so the farm ran kind of in an interesting way after we got run rid of the dairy cows because my dad then took a, took a job on road construction and he was then gone. So we went from where my dad was home every day of my life until I was 11 to where he was gone five to six days a week, nine months out of the year. Um, and then we kept the farm rolling in his absence, um, which wasn't easy. Um, but it, it wasn't boring. I'll tell you that. How much, um, and it may be fluctuated, but even at that time growing up, how much land did you actually own? Um, it's, it's, it's always about 160 acres. When my oh, dad really? got engaged to my mom, he bought 160 acres. I, if I, if I remember the story, right, Laufenberg stories are a little loose with their factualness. Um, <laughs> so if I remember right, he raised up a, a, a group of feeder cattle. He was still working for his dad, which was on the home farm, which is about two miles from where I grew up and raised up a bunch of feeder cattle, sold them and parlayed that into a down payment um, to buy this old farm um, that was 160 acres, four forties, essentially is how the plat book looks at it. Um, half of which is about woods and half is, um, you know, farmable land. Um, had some old barns, uh, an old house. Um, they built a new house when I was like four. So the house I remember and grew up in is modern, but the, the house they started with was real old, like a hundred years old, real old. Um, so yeah, so it was 160 acres and like the home farm had, I don't know, over a thousand acres and it, it doesn't connect directly, but it's within throwing distance of my parents across the field from us. Like there's a road in front of my parents' house across the field. His uncle Ray, my dad's name is Ray, real convenient. His uncle Ray held that parcel and that was the home farm that my grandpa had grown up on. Um, and so all around us was Laufenberg land. Um, more so when I was growing up than there is now because nobody, so we went from my grandpa's era where every single one of the boys in my grandpa's family, and there were a lot of them, Laufenbergs have double digit family sizes, um, was a farmer to at the end of the career of of my dad's generation of family nobody farms as their job like my dad farms yeah and he has a retirement from right <laughs> road construction right. there's nobody making their living off of farming <clears throat> um today out of my dad's immediate family well, and that's, you know, that's just the trend that you see. Like I asked that because I, I'm curious, you know, you look around where, where, where I am here in Saskatchewan and 160 acres, a quarter section of land, you cannot, you cannot make a living. However, people did make living off 160 acres of land. You know, even I'm going to guess even as, as late as 25 or 30 years ago, there were some people that were doing that. It just, I get it. It is such an explosion of people that don't, understand and not, not that I do a lot but I do know that the idea of oh you would buy a couple sections of land and have a great living is just it's gone I mean these are corporations with 30 to 50 to 100 sections of land uh, that are grown so when you look out when you're driving through the you know through the Midwest or in Canada any anytime you see farmland know that that is just one sliver of a massive yeah massive and empires 
so around by me, the folks left milking the dairy operations consolidated um, and their big operations. They're still largely family operations, but they would have consolidated two or three of the usually the sons of the family would consolidate onto one big farm and bring the operation together. Um, as far as cropland, um, you know, it's hit or miss around here. What, what, what has developed around here is that they don't own that land. It's a lot of home farms kept the home farm and rent back the land to the big operations. And so they still retain the home farm, even though it's not being farmed by them, um, and rent the land. Like my dad rents out the neighbor's pasture because he does corn and hay on his land and then pastures his hundred head of beef cattle on the neighbor's, which is an adjoining uh, 160 acres. Um, and so then his, his cows go and eat their grass all summer, it's beautiful pasture, and then he farms corn and hay at home. Um, and so you'll see that kind of, you know, on a much grander scale with, um, with dairy. And it's usually, it's soybeans, corn, a little bit of wheat, um, maybe sometimes some oats, um, and then hay and it's silage and, you know, it, it's, it's a big operation to get, um, these animals fed because these dairy operations are over a thousand animals usually. Yeah. And mechanized. So I don't know. Have you seen the new... <laughs> I finally saw this. They do robot milking in a lot of the big barns now. It's pretty wild. I've seen video of it. Yeah. 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 So like, yeah, it, 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 like two it, guys. Uh, it, it eliminates. Yeah. yeah. Two people. Eliminates the stories of kids <laughs> being D minus milkers and whatever else. Um, but talk a little bit about like, I think people, you kind of alluded to it. Like, Farming is not a profession as much as it is a lifestyle for most people. Like it's the whole experience, right? So it's not just that I, you know, have animals or I grow crops or, or whatever I'm doing. That's, that is, you know, I mean, at the core, but there's more to it than that. So maybe talk a little bit about, and I'm thinking more now about, um, you know, adult Diana and sort of your a return to farm life. Like what is it about that? whole experience that sort of says like yeah this is i know like because obviously if you want and you have you could live wherever you want to live but this is where you choose to be so what is it about living in rural wisconsin that just sort of feeds you well um when i decided to move home it was more practical than anything else um you know i'd lived away for a long time and um so i've lived back home roughly for about 10 years three of it i was really wandering around didn't really have a, a home base and then I bought the house I live in right now which is about 15 minutes from where I grew up um seven years ago and part of part of the decision was to just dive back in and be a more regular part of my family rather than a visitor in my own family um I I jokingly would say like I I you know I poured a lot of my effort and self into thousands of kids over a 15-year career I was going to come home and hang with the seven that are my nieces and nephews and focus on that instead. And they're here now being back here. Um, you see, I lived in Arizona. If you had to find a place for me in the world at that time, I would say that the right place for me in the world was out in Arizona in the mountains. I loved living there. Um, but one of the things I've kind of figured out since I've been back is how much I, I really do appreciate seasons. And the, 
the kind of flow of life around um, an agriculture community around, you know, what it's very predictable. There's a lot of consistency in the pattern, but then it's like <laughs> rain at the wrong time and uh, didn't get rain at the right time and uh, wind and, you know, like there's just all of this, the, the natural environment dictates a lot of what you're doing and how you're doing it. And that is one of the things I liked about Flagstaff is just your connection to being able to get outside easy and just run around and, you know, not being an overbuilt place, which was always what I did even when I left here. I, I would I would fly into cities and leave immediately. I used to joke that <laughs> there were, I, 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 I would fly into the city, but I would never stay there because um, my my interests were always out being outside and running around and finding a river or a lake or um, a mountain. And I really rediscovered how interesting it is right around where I lived. I missed most of it when I was a kid because I just wanted to leave because um, I was a D-minus farmer and I didn't want to get stuck on the farm. Um, but it's been very interesting to be back and just remember kind of there's a there's just a, a kind of comfort to knowing what what happens every October and you know there's a haying season and what that what that brings and you know that you, you have to adjust your life in May to get the garden in and you know there's just this kind of pace of life and that I'm able to have a flexible work situation so I can you know dip in and, and help my parents with all that because that's where all that happens none of it is <laughs> my house is where everybody can come and stop working and everybody else in my family both my siblings and my parents have working farms um, and so whenever we're there there's always a project or some some scheme of something that needs to happen that everybody needs to figure out um, so yeah so that's a little bit of it I think What's what's the most recent uh, sort of farm work related activity you engaged in? Well, we have just kicked off the uh, seasonal uh, produce stand up at the corner of Main Street and County Road F in Alma Center. We just set up the produce stand on Monday. It's really a project for my nephew Luke, um, where he sells sweet corn that is grown both at their farm and at my at my parents' farm. I often refer to the farm as my dad's farm and the house as my mom's house. They've been married 51 <laughs> years, but it's really my mom's house and my dad's farm. That's the way there's a, <laughs> if you were to look at an aerial photo, photo of the farm, you can see right where my mom's influence stops and where it turns into my dad's farm. Um, but so they've been growing, I don't know, there's acres and acres of sweet corn. So sweet corn started on Monday. So last night I was picking sweet corn into gunny sacks um, because they needed a restock and nobody was home. And so it was up to me. That's how it usually happens. Like, <laughs> hey, are you still at mom's? Can you take six dozen sweet corn up to the stand? Sure. Um, and so that was what I was doing. And then today there will be more of that. Um, and then it will turn into my dad produces an insane amount of produce that never really has a plan for where it's supposed to go. He has like <laughs> 70 hills of potatoes. We don't need that. He doesn't go to the farmer's market. We just have to like figure out how to like half the time I'm uh, with squash and uh, specifically squash. I take it to the um, to the food pantry and I'm like, I have a thousand pounds of squash. They're like, we would love a thousand pounds of squash. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we're kind of starting with harvesting garden stuff, I would say. And produce is where we're at right now. We and just what would be. We just got done haying too. So 
my and I didn't have to do much for that other than um, you know help out my mom while my dad was pretty capitalized doing haying, but they just got their second crop of hay up. What what would be the last sort of fun related rural activity you you engaged in? So not work related, but just like outdoors fun thing ed so sunday closed up the um annual jackson county fair where five of my seven nieces and nephews exhibited their um livestock in the fair um it starts on a wednesday um ends on a sunday wednesday was the sheep show where two of my nieces and nephews showed their sheep um wednesday was the pig show um, where all five of them had pigs um, my nephew Jack won that show with the best pig. And then his brother and his sister um, were the top showmen um, for their um, pigs. And then Friday was beef. That was my nephew Luke. And then um, later on Friday, my nephew Cole, who like me, isn't necessarily the most engaged farmer, um, is in a farm family, but would rather do something else. He shows goats, um, meat goats, market goats. And for the second year in a row, he took a champion and, so grand champ and reserve champ in the goat show for a second year in a row. It's, it's really not done. Um, and it's pretty hilarious um, to watch it happen. Um, so he has dominated the goat show for the last two years. And then on Saturday, they sell all these animals to the community. Businesses come in and they auction them off. And they usually get somewhere between two and three times market price for these animals. And it's a way for the community to support the work the kids are up to. And, you know, it's there's meal afterwards. There's, you know, I don't know, there's probably 300 people there um, for the show on Saturday. And then Sunday, everything heads off to market and they pack everything up. So we just finished up with that. Um, but it's a big push all summer to get the animals ready for that so it's just and they got a little bit of time before school starts where they can do stuff off the farm and then um and then it's back to school i feel like goat show is a euphemism for something but i don't think it is anyways it's an actual goat show <laughs> an actual goat show and it's kind of ridiculous um yeah it's a, it's it's pretty ridiculous um but you know it's he needed something to do uh my my, I have a twin niece and nephew that are the youngest, and the young lady is um, an, an insane competitor, and my nephew, her brother, isn't as competitive, and so he gets to do goats, and that's his thing, um, and she gets to do everything else. Um, so he's he's the lone goat showman of, uh, of the nieces and nephews, but he's doing a bang-up job. That's awesome. So you kind of mentioned at the beginning how, you know, you, you know, you made the connection to farming being, you know, a real maker space and, and, you know, so much of uh, making those connections. How do you, like, what are the, the ways in which your experience and your life on the farm and in rural Wisconsin influence you as an educator? So what are like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've thought about this a lot. Uh, just curious to see what kind of what kind of parallels do you make and connections you make between your 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 life away from te uh, from education and 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 teaching and learning so the the thing that i used to um you know kids every once in a while would ask me like do you ever just not want to come to work you know like they're like because i was i was a pretty good attender of school um and i was like 
well. Um, I don't really think of this as work in the same way that you envision it. I said, I have done manual labor as my job from the age of uh, as far back as I could remember until I was 18 years old. Manual labor was my job. Um, I didn't like it. It was not my lane. I, I was bad at it. I'm, I'm the kind of Wisconsiner that at some point in time, their hands and feet got too exposed to cold and I, my feet turn into bricks and I'm terrible. Um, at that thing. And I said, teaching, while it's hard, I don't consider work in the same way. Like I've had jobs that were work. I worked in food service, I was a bartender. I, I worked on an organic produce farm when I was in college. I have done manual labor stuff. Um, and for me, education is, I said, I am in a temperature controlled place where there's a water fountain, food downstairs, and I just get to wander around in the world of ideas all day. To me, that's a choice and that's a spectacular way to spend time. So, but the other thing that I, but I wouldn't trade the experience for the world. Like I don't get, I don't get the life I have today without having that beginning, I think that I had. So my mom one day said, well, you kids just did what you were told. And she was trying to figure out why somebody couldn't figure out how to get something done. And we could. And I said, mom, you did not send us out with a 10 point list of how to get from, from A to Z. You said, go outside and do not come back in here until this is done. You didn't tell us how to do it. <laughs> we just had to like go outside and figure it out. And there were times, I mean, we were, I mean, me particularly, I was not a dream boat to raise. Um, I'm pretty argumentative and have a lot of opinions. Um, and she would sometimes be like, until this is done, this door doesn't open. Like the door is locked to the inside. <laughs> you will finish whatever needs to be done. But you just had to get clever and creative and figure it out and, and try things and be prepared for it to not work and have to try it again and try it again and try it again until you got done what you needed to get done or had pushed through the hard part and got out the other side. That piece of how I was raised, that there just is, there is no stopping the effort. You just keep going because that's also what farming is. Like every farmer in the course of their life has stood in, the, in their windows and watched their crop get wiped out by hail. Their, their entire thing is just gone. And usually they will take a deep breath, probably laugh, go eat lunch and go back outside and start again. Um, like that sense of what am I doing? What's working? What's not? What's next? You know, that whole sense of, of how you learn how to do something and get good at it or at least better. Um, and that, that the only, that the best way to learn something is, is through actually doing something and experiencing something. Um, and so I, you know, I have a, Somewhere somebody should write a PhD thesis on the fact that a hundred years ago, the bulk of American kids were raised on farms and today they're not. And we lost something there. Um, I'm probably one of the last generations. I mean, every kid that I grew up with that lived outside of town was on a farm. Um, today, that's not the case. Um, you know, I, I went and long-term subbed in my my home high school. Um, 
during COVID unintentionally. Um, that was exciting. Um, and that's just not the case anymore. The kids, the kids aren't predominantly being raised on a farm or a functioning farm that that's how they make the money to provide for the family. There might have farming going on, but that both parents still have a full-time job, which is how most farming around here that isn't to your point earlier, the large operation. Um, so that is, you know, that's kind of what I took away from it is that there is a, there is a thing that gets installed in you when you have to work a, as part of a team, B, at something you don't particularly like, but that you do understand the benefit of in the aggregate of the experience, um, C, that nobody's coming to save you, <laughs> like it's just you in that shovel or you in that string of wire, and you just got to figure it out, like that there's, there's a sense of um, autonomy and efficiency and kind of um, stick to witness that I don't. I don't know how you get authentically in another way. You almost have to create those conditions to get something like that, that was just automatically part of how life ran on the farm. I mean, so I spent, I spent the weekend with my 90 year old father who grew up in a farm and he almost verbatim, almost verbatim said what you said about growing up about his dad would say to he and his four brothers, get this thing done. He never told him how to do it. And I mean, he, he sort of, he, he retells the story as if that was an intentional thing that his father did, which I don't believe it was. I believe it was like, I just don't have time to tell you this. Like there's so many things to do. Just do this thing. Like I don't, I, I can't walk you through it, figure it out. And then yep. he was off. So it was, it was just a necessity. Like there's no time to explain like, well, how do we get this thing done? So he tells stories about how he and his brothers, they would try stuff and, and it would be disaster. And sometimes his dad would come say, how come you not? Cause they would, their, their whole goal was like, how do we make this easier on ourselves? Which right? bothered their father who said like, that's not the point of it. Like I'm not here to make your life easier. Like get the thing done. But yep. what's interesting for me is like, I did not grow up on a farm, but I'm, I'm closer to understanding that generation than we have today. Like people just have no clue about, about that. And, and, you know, you hate to sort of get into the, those are the good old days and all this nostalgia because I mean, there was lots of things about that, that, that weren't great, but, but it, it is definitely a, I mean, a, a, a mindset and, um, you know, and an upbringing that, like you said, has stayed with you that I don't know how else you can get those kinds of experiences I mean, I would, the only parallels I can think about is really of, of, of people who live in poverty, who have fewer options and have to figure stuff out too, because they don't have as many of the advantages. But I mean, you don't wish anybody to live in poverty. That's not something you think, well, gee, it'd be great if more kids had that. So this was sort of like, in some ways, I don't want to, you know, over idealize it, but I mean, it definitely brought. Um, an ethic and a, an understanding of, of life that is just something that's really, really hard to replicate today. In another way. Yep. And it's, and it, and I, and I, you know, I started out with, I hated farming. Like <laughs> I was, I was the least happy when I had to like go out into that barn and milk house. I, I just, I was little. Um, I mean, Laufenbergs are not tall to start with. I mean, most of this, most of our milking happened between like the ages of six and 11. 
And, you know, I, I wasn't strong enough. I was always cold. Like it was, it was unpleasant most of the time for me personally. Now my other two siblings both had a very different experience. My brother has a degree in animal sciences from UW River Falls. He works for the USDA and has been a meat grader and several different jobs within the USDA. My sister also works for the USDA and she went into um, the world of conservation around land use management to help protect stream beds through farmland. And she does work on GIS mapping and, and land use um, stuff for, um, for a different arm of the USDA. So both of them had a very different experience than I did. They liked it. They liked farming. They mm -hmm. was hard, but it was work that they were interested in. Um, it was hard for me and I hated it. So I was always, I, I joked that there was a moment when I was like 10 or 11 and I stopped at that, at that place where it transitioned from my mom's house to my dad's farm. And I just had this thought like, God, if I didn't look just like these people, I think I got switched at birth. You know, like I wanted to read books. I wanted to travel. I wanted to go see things. I, I loved school. Um, school, there wasn't a day I didn't get on that bus. I, I joke also in America, they're, they're all stuck on school choice. And I was like, yeah, rural school choice. You getting on that bus, you're not getting on that bus. There's your school choice. Yeah. Um, like there are no just a school choice around here in the way that people envision it in other places. Um, but I got on that bus every day. Like I would have to be very ill not to go to school because that for me was the escape. And then I played three sports and I was in everything because that was the only legitimate way that I didn't have to come home and do more chores. Um, so yeah. I was... Yeah. Yeah. You're there's still like as much as you because it would be easy to sort of the end of this story is and I never went back to the farm again because the, there right. there are a lot of people I think like you who did grow up on a farm who didn't like it who said I don't want any part of it and and and, and not just I wouldn't say even just farm but people who grew up in rural places right like even a place like Moose Jaw it's 40,000 right. people but for some people like I never want to come back. So there is something about it for you, at least, that said, you know what, as much as I didn't enjoy it, there's something here that draws well, and, me back. And I think that for me, part of it is that it became less high stakes. I mean, when I was a kid, it was very high stakes. I mean, right. the entire family was involved in paying the bills. Like, we, we were not an insignificant part of how that farm stayed open and, and functioning. We were the worker bees that helped that make a mortgage payment i mean it was not you know theoretical it was it was very much that my dad worked for 25 years on road construction got a full pension um out of the operating engineers union of wisconsin and and was able to go back to farming in a way that isn't high stakes and everything is just less and my you know my brother who does have a functioning farm both he and his wife have full-time jobs um, it is beef cattle. It's not dairy. Nobody's doing dairy in my, my immediate family. Um, it's beef cattle and, and sheep and pigs. They raise livestock, which is a very different kind of farming that is still a lot of work, but not dairy's the, the most labor intensive version, at least historically, unless you get robots, um, which you can, um, is it's, it's, you can do it as almost a side hustle. Um, but again, that only functions at my brother's house because he's got four kids um that are doing a lot of the 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 labor of it so for me part of it also was i think the anxiety and the pressure and the 
the worry that was attached to most of my childhood about every crop and the milk price and all of that day-to-day -day stuff is gone. Um, and he, my, my dad basically spent 10 years farming the way he wants to and without a lot of the baggage and the worry and there's nothing high stakes attached to it anymore. Like it's bad, but they're not going to lose the farm. You know, that got paid off. Yeah. Um, so for me, part of it, I think also is just, it's just less, there's just less anxiety attached to the farm. Now, not everybody's in that situation. There are right. still a lot of people losing family farms and have worked their entire adult life and still lose that farm when they're 65 years old and have no retirement. You know, like that is happening throughout. Wisconsin. Well, and they have no kids who are interested in taking it over. That's the biggest thing too, is that kids just saying like, yeah, I, I don't want it. So, so right. you know, mom you or dad with? are having yep. to get rid of it and trying to figure out like they, they had, they all have the dream of it. Well, this gets passed down and this stays in the family forever. And kids yep. are just saying, I'm out. Well, or, or it's just no longer financially feasible to right. do it. Um, right. but, and, and it really is a cost of machinery that makes it almost impossible. I mean, somebody wants to have a, a jaw dropping experience, go see what it takes to buy a combine. Yeah. Oh. Big tractor or a manure spreader of all the things that can be expensive. Like just the scale at which people are expected to farm requires machines that are worth a half million dollars or um, more. Yeah. Or more. So yeah, yeah, it's again, it's it's a, and it, we we joke too that it's it's a it's it's the biggest form of gambling that anybody engages in. I mean, there's a futures market for grain. There's, I mean, it's it's all gambling. You can lock prices in and then have your your crop fail, and then you're underwater for that. You can um, lose your crop, and if you are underinsured, you can't even cover the cost of seed. I mean, it's a big gambling racket. Um, farming is gambling in a lot of ways and right now the way that my family is engaging in farming has very low stakes outcomes if right. it doesn't pan out nobody's losing the farm if the farm doesn't produce exactly the way it needs to my childhood felt very precarious along those lines so last question just anything that i didn't ask you that i should have that you would have liked to have said or just final thoughts um i just i i often find myself trying to play translator between urban folks and rural folks um and i think that there's a lot more in common between people the the bulk of american people if they would actually get over some of the weirdness of it that they can't understand how other people live like i can't understand how you live in row homes in philadelphia or I can't understand how you live in the middle of nowhere and can't see a neighbor. You know, like that that bridge for some folks, um, it really, I think is over overstated or overemphasized. But when you get down to it, you know, what I often go back to is most people just want to raise their family and provide and do a job and get compensated and make it through life. And, you know, there's just a lot of commonality that I think gets gets glossed over because they're focused on the more visible differences that exist between, between urban and rural. Um, and so I spend a lot of time like, no, this is exactly what, you know, the, the families that I worked with were concerned about, or no, that's, that's very similar in rural America. You know, there's, there's a lot of commonality there that I think people are missing and choosing to focus on things that are much more superficial or 
othering, um, but when you get down to it, there's just a lot of, of similarities. Well, I appreciate you saying that because that's, I mean, I think you and I both have had the privilege of traveling to a lot of places and seeing a lot of things. And yeah, I noticed the differences, but like at the end of the day, you know, people are people like, I, you know, I feel, always feel like, like I could probably live anywhere. Like people say, oh, I could never live in a city or I could never live on the West Coast or I could never live on the East Coast or in the Prairie. You know what? Whatever. Like once you kind of get in there, you've, and I think you mentioned before about like you found beauty and things that you didn't notice when you were a kid growing up. And I think that's the same with me. Like people think like, yeah, whatever Saskatchewan to many people seems really, you know what? There's a lot of beauty here if you look. And there's a lot of beauty in inner cities that, that yeah. people might miss too, right? Just So it is, people are people and some of these extraneous things sometimes get in the way of, of seeing that, you know what? We're kind of, we're a lot more similar than we are different, so. Yep, and yeah, and I I, I very much appreciate that I was, you know, I spent about 10 years traveling internationally a lot. And that also was eye opening to me. I just heard somebody um, interviewed this morning on NPR talk about how he had grown up in Appalachia and that he visited like so many different countries. And he's like, oh, there's a version of this in Thailand. And there's a version of this in Vietnam. And there's a version of this. And, and that it was such an interesting thing to recognize the thread of connection rather than just um, focus on the differences. But I think that, yeah, my international travel certainly helped with that as well. So, yeah. Well, thanks for uh, talking. I don't know if you've got any more corn to sell or uh, anything else this week, but uh, good luck. Thanks, Dean. Be great to see you again sometime soon. Yep, so we'll we'll have to see what uh, next time you come to Minneapolis. You just got to give me a heads up. And, okay, uh, all right. Take care. Thanks. See ya.